Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This week, we've got a Wednesday UFC card, an exciting main event between Glover Teixeira and Anthony Smith in a light heavyweight showdown. But as you guys know who frequent the show, we will not be breaking down that or any of the other main card fights. No, no, we are focused strictly on the preliminary portion of the card. Now, for those of you who are new to the show, you might be asking yourself, why focus just on the preliminary portion of the card? Why not focus on that main event that is so exciting? And the answer is very simple. The answer is we think you've probably got a lot of different podcasts you listen to that break down main cards and things like that. But you probably don't have one that you go to for the prelims, and that's why we're here to specialize in that. And before we get to that full breakdown, i got to remind you that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiasts. They've got all kinds of ways that you can track and follow your training sessions so that you can be making the progress that you want to make and if you're quarantined right now and are not training martial arts they've got great ways to stay on top of your exercise and track that as well so make sure that you check them out wherever you download apps now i of course could not do this show without another savvy co-host joining me today from the fix fights podcast i'm joined by kurt chase patrick kurt thanks for joining me again hey man appreciate it as always love being on the show all right, and as you guys know, we're going to start this round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Andre Arlovsky versus Felipe Lins. So Andre Arlovsky, he's one in two in his last three fights. He took a split decision loss to Augusto Sakai, took a decision victory over Ben Rothwell, and then got knocked out by Jair Zinho Rosenstroik. Uh, Felipe Lins last fought for a million dollars in the Professionals Fighters League. He won that fight by KO in the fourth round over Josh the Cuddly Bear Copeland. So uh, my question for you here stems from the fact that Arlovsky seems to be like a gatekeeper to the top 15 now. Not to the title picture, but definitely to the top 15. Win and you're kind of in it, lose and you're probably never going to be in it. Is Felipe Lins a top 15 talent? I feel like he is, man. Uh, Felipe Lins, remember way back when when he uh, he was in Bellator randomly? He had a lot of promise, and then it kind of like went a little bit south for him, and he's kind of reinvented himself. Uh, I do I do think he, he has the potential, but uh, yeah, like you said, this is definitely the perfect gatekeeper-type matchup for him to see if he is really – you know, ready for that big step up. And the thing that interests me the most about it is the fact that, you know, like the sort of the new and improved Andre Arlovsky, if you want to call it that, is much more of a point fighter than he used to be, right? He's fighting way more safe under Mike Brown than he used to. And if you look at what Felipe Lins has been doing really well against, it is not that type of fighter, right? Like the guys he's beating up, you know, are, are people who are, you know, big heavy guys who are moving it forward really fast, right? Like Josh Copeland was like emptying the gas tank early in that fight. He also fought Jared Rochalt, who is basically Josh Copeland light, um, and doing, you know, pr- pretty similar things, trying to wrestle him up, trying to put him against the cage, and then wearing out. So he's fighting a guy who's going to fight, you know, probably the 15 whole minutes. It seems like with the exception of fighting Rosenstroke, that, that is how Arlovsky has been lately. Do you think this one goes to a decision too? And if so, does Linz have any chance of winning that? Yeah, the the thing that scares me about Arlovsky is the chin, right? Because we've seen him I – mean, he has, I believe, like 11 uh, KO losses in his career. We've seen his chin get cracked before. Linz does have some power, although he's not, not the 
polished striker like Olavsky is. Um, yeah, so I definitely think there's a possible chance that Linz could definitely get him out of there based on Arlovsky's chin. Yeah, and I will say, too, you, we, we talk about Arlovsky's chin a lot. It, it is worth noting that with the exception of the Rosenstroke knockout, if you if you look back at his fights, we're talking about decisions in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight straight fights before that, and the only person who knocked him out before that was Francis Naganu. So, you know, in the last ten fights, two knockouts into those, you know, crazy fists... Uh, yeah, maybe we we overrate or underrate his chin a little bit here. And I also don't think Felipe Linz is the person to touch it. So uh, I guess we're to the point of the, the breakdown, though, where you got to give me a prediction. Who do you think wins this one? Man, I'm going to Arlovsky. Uh, he's kind of the guy, like, he's one of those old vets that I, I kind of always pick against just out of, I mean, pick, I pick him to win just out of the respect for him. So I'm going to Arlovsky again, man. The guy's been fighting since, like, 1970. You count him out, and he always, like, wins, right? So I'm going Arlovsky. I think I think kind of like you laid out, I think he kind of picks him apart, stays on the outside, and uh, wins a pretty clear-cut decision here. I'm taking the exact same thing. Some of that's because I'm a huge Arlovsky mark when it comes to uh, old-school MMA. But some of it is, I, I think you're detailed the, the outcome absolutely perfect. All right, and that's going to take us to our second fight of the first round, which is Michael Johnson versus Tiago Moises. So Johnson, back-to-back losses to Josh Emmett and Stevie Ray, although the Stevie Ray loss is a somewhat debatable majority decision. Tiago Moises, 1-2 in his last three. Decision loss to Benil Dariush. Decision win to Kurt Hullabaugh. And then a decision loss to Demir Ismagulov. So... Moises, clearly a talented grappler, sort of lacks the the stand-up tools that, you know, could do any real damage in this division. Is is there any chance he can get Johnson to grapple with him, though? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, Johnson, Johnson has pretty solid takedown defense, although when you do get him to the ground, he, you know, he is definitely susceptible, but Johnson's still super fast on the feet. He's a very rangy, slick southpaw. He has power. I think Moises struggles here to get Johnson down. Johnson definitely has the power and the uh, range and the savviness to keep him at bay. I think Moises Moises struggles here. Yeah, I I think this one's a pretty clear one, too, as far as uh, how hard some of these fights are to predict and how easy they are. Look, look, I I think Michael Johnson is completely underrated. We're talking about a guy who pieced up Andre Feely on the feet. He beat up Artem Lobov, which you want to make Artem Lobov jokes, feel free to. Uh, But Artem Lobov on the feet. And then he also, you know, gave Justin Gaethje a run, which we just saw how hard that can be. So... Yeah, I'm going to say Michael Johnson here. Any way he wants on the feet, probably a decision, but it wouldn't surprise me if he got a knockout. How do you see him getting it done? John Johnson's resume is crazy, by the way. That guy has fought literally everybody. Yeah, it's um, nuts. <laughs> I got Johnson by finish. I think I think he probably finishes him in maybe late second, early third, kind of stuffs a bunch of takedowns, beats him up throughout, gets him tired, and then finishes him. All right. Well, guys, that's going to do it for the end of round one. We are going to be right back with round number two after a quick word from our sponsors. This portion of the show is brought to you by BattleClan Gear. Visit BattleClanGear.com. Make sure to use promo code TURTLEUP10, T-U-R-T-L-E-U-P-1-0 for grappling gear that not only looks absolutely amazing, but it feels great as well, and it holds up through the test of time. BattleClan Gear has got high-quality stuff from people who matter. So make sure that you head on over to BattleClanGear.com and pick up your grappling gear for when this quarantine is over. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. 
And we're going to start this round by talking about Sajara Eubanks versus Sarah Morris. So Eubanks, 0-2 since moving to Bantamweight. She's got losses to Aspen Ladd and Betch Cohea. Uh, Sarah Morris recently broke a three-fight losing streak with a win over Liana Jojua. Uh, obviously, one of the more interesting questions for this fight is there's a big physical disparity. Even though Eubanks coming up from 125 hasn't been real successful, she is incredibly strong. Whereas Morris, you know, she's not particularly imposing for the Bantamweight division. What does Morris have to do here to neutralize that physicality? Yeah, you know, it's going to be tough for Morris. Morris is definitely not not a very physical fighter, although she is a, a you know, a talented grappler. Um, I think it's going to be very hard for her, but I think Eubanks has definitely struggled with, with you know, weight cuts, right, a bunch of times. So I think maybe Morris might have a, I would say, like an advantage in the cardio department if she's able to wear on Sajara Eubanks, maybe get a takedown. Um, I, think, I think as good as Sajara Eubanks is, I think Morris – is a talented grappler in her own right, and I think the way to victory is going to be to try to get Eubanks down or at least wear on her, maybe against the cage and the clinch. Um, it's definitely a tough one for her, though. Yeah, and I, I sort of agree with you that that path to victory has to be looking submission late. And, and really, if we're drawing up, you know, paths to victory, and that's the only thing we've got here, it, it seems pretty unlikely here that Morris is going to be able to weigh heavily on somebody so physical, right? Because you said grinder against the cage. I don't see any way that she tries to do that and Sajara doesn't hit, like, you know, flip it around or get off the cage or, you know, start wearing on her instead. So uh, I think this is a pretty clear-cut decision to Sajara Eubanks. What do you got? Yeah, I'm going the same way. And I think on the feet, too, Sajara definitely, you know, she's not a polished striker by any means, but she definitely has more power. Uh, yeah, I go, I go Eubanks by decision here. All right, and that takes us to our second fight of this second round, and that is Gabriel Mowgli Benitez versus Omar Morales. Benitez lost his two-fight winning streak recently by getting knocked out by Sadiq Youssef. Morales won his UFC debut back in December against Dong Kyung Ma by decision. So uh, Benitez, sort of the thing I like about Benitez is that he's does some really good in-and-out movement with his feet. He, he can close range really quickly and then get out of range. It makes him really hard to hit. Is that going to work against Omar Morales? And is that the right way to go about trying to beat Omar Morales? I think so, man. Gabriel Benitez is super fun to watch, right? And there's not a lot, there's honestly not a lot out there on Morales, uh, besides, you know, his, his Dana White Contender Series fights. Um, I definitely think he has some good finishing instincts, but yeah, I, I think Benitez is a huge step up here. I love Benitez's style. He's not afraid to get in there and brawl, get in your face. Uh, it's going to be really tough for Morales here. Yeah, and I sort of agree with you, too. You know, the fact that he can get in your face when he wants to and then stay away when he doesn't want to is really impressive on the feet. I also think his submission skills are really underrated. You know, like if Morales finds himself panicking because he's getting touched up on the feet, th this is not some place where he can panic, take down, and wind up okay. I mean, we've seen Benitez slam somebody out. We've seen a tight tight guillotine out of him we saw him grapple a little bit with with jason knight who everybody was kind of touting is like a a decent grappling prospect coming up so yeah I, I think gabriel benitez absolutely has definitely got the the striking advantage there in the way that he moves and i think really that that shuts down the amount of paths to victory that omar morales has so it, it sounds like we're both pretty high on mowgli here but here's the question then how does mowgli get it done if he does get it done I think he I think he finishes him in the first round. I think he comes out strong and fast and uh puts him away. I think he hurts him on the feet, finishes on the ground. I'm going Benitez first round KO. 
All right, and I, I like that too. I, I'm going to say he touches him up on the feet too and finishes him up. Uh, I'm not going to say submission, even though I think he could probably submit him if he stunned him. I think probably his instinct says to throw hands. So uh, I'm going to go with Benitez also by TKO in the first round. And that's going to do it for the end of the second round. We're going to take a quick break, talk to our sponsors, and we'll be right back with the last two fights. Now, there are a lot of different ways to play fantasy MMA, daily fantasy MMA particularly, but there is one name of the future, and I want you guys to remember that name. That is Fight Call App. Go to GetFightCall.com to get updates on this upcoming app that is absolutely, positively going to change the way that you play daily fantasy sports. No longer do you have to worry about those pesky salary caps. Just be the most knowledgeable person in the room, and you win the money. That's it, and that's really what we want, right? We don't want to have to try to play their games we just want the smartest person to win. So head on over, getfightcallapp.com, and they'll be giving away $25 gift cards to the UFC store. So make sure you check them out just for following along. So make sure you check those out, getfightcall.com. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. In this round, we're going to start by talking about Hunter Azure versus Brian Kelleher. Azure won his UFC debut over Brad Katona back in September by decision. Kelleher was on a two-fight skid, facing a brand new contract, and he picked up a slick submission of Odie Osborne by sort of a mounted guillotine against the cage. It was pretty sick. But here's the big question here. So Azure has kind of shown that he is a guy who likes to lean on his wrestling. And, you know, I just talked about the fact that Kelleher is coming off a guillotine win. Kelleher is the type of guy who's got some pretty sneaky submission stuff and some pretty decent takedown defense. Does Azure have a path to victory in wrestling him up? You know, I think he does, especially if he can get on top of Kelleher, right? But the big the big difference here for me is Brian Kelleher's striking he he has very, uh, I would say underrated striking. He has a lot of power for that division. He's short. He's stocky. Um, I like Kelleher to hurt Azure here. Kelleher also has a ton of, uh, you know, no, nah, I wouldn't say a ton of big fight experience, but he has definitely faced stiffer competition in Azure. He's also the best rapper in the game. <laughs> Super nice guy. Yeah, I, I think Kelleher is able to hurt him here, man. Yeah, I agree. And you said he's got big fight experience, right? And I think you're right, right? Like, he, he walked into the UFC after having, like, a thousand fights on the regional circuit, instantly fights Yuri Alcantara, who was, like, a top ten guy at the time. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and then immediately follows that up by fighting Marlon Vera, which is a crazy fight to, to happen. And while Marlon Vera didn't have the name back then, like, man, that is some decent experience. He's beaten Henan Burrell. He's fought John Lineker. Like, that's a big list of people yeah. to fight. In all, in, in his whole career, if you're looking back for looking, oh, for losses he's got, the only knockout loss he's got in his whole career is John Lineker. So, like, you're right. Not only is he good on the feet and is he sharp on the feet and got that big game experience on the feet, but he's also tough on the feet too, which, uh, you know, again, if Asia can't get him down and Asia can't force that type of fight, I really see this being heavily leaning the Brian Kelleher way on the feet. But of course, that's the if there, right? Like if it hits the mat, Asia definitely has that opportunity. Do you see it happening though? What's your official prediction? I don't. I see I see Azure definitely getting takedowns, but the longer the fight goes, I think Brian Kelleher is going to be able to keep his head. He's got the bigger fight experience. I think Kelleher 
gets taken down, gets back to his feet, frustrates Azure. I think he hurts him, and I think he finishes it with that patent to guillotine in the third round. I'm going Kelleher by submission. All right, I'm going to go Kelleher by TKO here. And the reason I think TKO, too, is the same thing you said. Like, I think Azure is going to try to grapple him a couple of times, maybe get him down two or three times. Kelleher just keeps getting up. It frustrates him. Maybe he abandons that, and then he winds up getting tagged enough. Um, and that brings us to our very last fight, which I- I'm very excited about. Two guys just signed to the UFC, one being re-signed and one being brand new. The first one being Chase Sherman, who, after being released, picked up three straight first-round knockouts, including one of Ultimate Fighter veteran Jeremy May. Uh, he was also in some bare-knuckle boxing matches during that time. And he's fighting Ike Villanueva, who's been on the regional circuit for 15 straight years. And he is recently on a run of four straight first-round knockouts, which includes two UFC veterans in Roger Navarez and Rashad Coltier. So I feel like this is a classic heavyweight matchup with dudes who who have crazy first-round knockout power. But also, if we wind up in the third round of this one, we're all going to be uh, using a bathroom break in this opportunity. Is this a bathroom break fight or is this a flash KO fight? This is not a bathroom break fight. I think you laid it out perfectly, uh, but I also don't think this this makes it out of the first round, right? Chase Sherman's definitely shown finishing power, and he also gets finished. Finished. He his defense is not the best. Villanueva ha, he packs a very tough punch. I I definitely don't see this making it out of. I would even say the first round. I think this is a quick fight and a definite fun fight. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of hoping for that. I, I'm hoping it doesn't wind up being something where, like, you know, they wind up pressed against the cage and both of them tire out and they both throw labored punches for the last two rounds. Um, but but they also don't have the worst cardio for heavyweights, I guess. Um, Chase Sherman, you know, has shown a little bit of an improvement since he's been back on the regional scene and away from the UFC. I'm just really interested to see whether or not Ike Villanueva deals with that speed that we've seen from time to time from Chase Sherman early on and whether or not he can tag, like you said, that sort of missing defensive part, right? Like he's really fast, but sometimes he does some like really stupid defensive stuff. So uh, we've gotten to the very end of this round. I got to ask you, does he do the stupid defensive thing or does his speed pick up the win? He does the stupid defensive thing. (laughs) I think think they get into some sort of, of firefight. Villanueva tags him, puts him out. I'm going Villanueva by first round knockout. It certainly would be a great story too. I'll go with the same thing, mostly just because of the story piece. The dude has been on the regional circuit for 15 freaking years, which is just incredible. I'll I'll go first round knockout for Hurricane Ike as well, just because I think uh, you're right. He's probably going to make that stupid decision with his hands a little bit too low on an exchange, and it only takes one in the heavyweight division, especially when you're fighting somebody like Ike Villanueva. And that's going to do it. That's six fights in about 15 minutes. So we hope you guys enjoyed the quick breakdown. Uh, Remember that this is a Wednesday card. So we hope you guys enjoy the middle of the week violence. And please remember to check out uh, Chase Kirkpatrick's podcast, Fix Fights Podcast with Kurt and Ben. Sorry, I almost forgot. Benjamin Abrigo, friend of the show as well. Make sure you check out that podcast as well. Uh, Kurt, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks, man. I really appreciate the plug, and it's always been it's always fun, man.